Prodigal Church, week two of our Down to Earth series. Uh, this past week, um, my wife and I hid some Christmas presents for Dex in our garage, and uh, we hid them in some Target bags. Um, and, uh, and so then, uh, unthinking, I go, hey, son, will you help me do this project in the garage? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I will. So we go outside in the garage, and I'm, I'm hanging up. His, he's handing me, like, screwdrivers and stuff. And then, um, then he goes, dad, 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 presents for me. And I go, oh, okay, uh, I don't know. And he goes, dad, look in the Target bag, presents, presents. And I go, come inside, son. And I'm losing it. Like, I, I can't think of a lie. I can't think of anything. And so I grab his hand. I go, let's go inside and talk to mom. And so he goes inside in front of me. And I go to Sarah and I go, and she goes, mom, he goes, mom, mom, I found the, I found presents. And, the, and she goes, oh, I don't know, son. I immediately go into the garage, grab the bags, throw them in the back of my car. And then she, he brings Sarah out and goes, mom, look, where'd they go? <laughs> and, and then Sarah's like, I don't know what you think you saw, son, but there's nothing there. That happened verbatim, okay? There, uh, there's no exaggeration there. Couldn't think of what to say, so they just disappeared. <laughs> Sorry, son. <laughs> this morning, we're going to look at a not-so-popular character in the Christmas story. I've heard lots of sermons on the Old Testament Joseph found in Genesis. Not so many sermons on the New Testament Joseph found in Matthew and Luke. Um, what do we know about him? Well, not much. Uh, he doesn't actually have any lines in the scriptures. Uh, Joseph doesn't talk at all. And um, we do know this, though. He was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. Uh, we find that out in Matthew 13, 55. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So they're speaking about Jesus. And he goes, isn't this the carpenter's son, Joseph's boy? And the Greek word here is tekton. And tekton means like a handyman, okay? There was also a Greek word called architekton, which is where we get the word architect, and that's a master builder. And they actually had employees and oversaw large projects. They were higher up on the social ladder. Tekton, simple lot in life. And the Roman world viewed that in a very similar way. Uh, actually, there's an ancient Jewish writing that describes a tecton in Sirach 38. says this, The wisdom of the scribe depends on the opportunity for study, while the tecton is much too engaged in business to become wise. Consequently, they don't sit in the judge's seat, nor do they understand the decision of the courts. They cannot expound discipline or judgment, and they are not found in the rulers. Uh, it's, that's a simple person. They just do... Uh, handiwork, they can't ever be wise. Greco-Roman culture wasn't much different. Uh, Secundus, an Athenian orator, was made fun of because, and he was called a wooden nail because he was the son of a carpenter. So even if you were the son or the child of someone who was a tecton, you would be made fun of and be slighted in society. Jesus probably dealt with this his whole life. Uh, number two, we know that he was poor. Apparently, they didn't have any resources to, for an inn or a nice house to, for the baby to be born in. They rather were in a stable, in a manger, outside. 
And in Luke's story of the baby Jesus, his early days, they go to the temple for his de dedication and they present the necessary offerings required by the law in the temple. And it, we are told that they offer uh, a pair of turtle doves or pigeons, which was the sacrifice required if you were poor. So Joseph was broke. He had a job that didn't pay well and his job was not an attractive job in the ancient world. This is who God calls to raise his son. Uh, let's read the account in Matthew. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, actually, some translations will say because he was a righteous man, uh, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, we kind of want to, we read that passage, but we don't maybe understand fully the ancient marriage practices. And so I kind of want to dive into that to give us some context for why Joseph is considered a righteous man just because he wanted to divorce her quietly. In Joseph's day, marriages were arranged by parents. Uh, sometimes with the help of a matchmaker, uh, the bride and groom were often still very young. And at that point, the match was more of an understanding. It was like a, a non-binding agreement. But as the girl entered puberty, however, the parents' agreement turned into a formal engagement. And the marriage ceremony followed shortly after, uh, between the, uh, one to two years after that. And the, to cement the formal engagement, the father of the bride paid a, a certain sum to the father, uh, the father of the groom paid a certain sum to the father of the bride. This was the bride price. It was called a mohar. Uh, and it wasn't a small sum. Uh, some ancient writings say that the mohar should be the equivalent of a one-bedroom house. And this actually makes sense because in the ancient world, uh, the, the, the bride's family now loses someone who is going to work and help the family thrive. They lose that. And that was everything in the ancient world. And so uh, this, this function to take care of them... Uh, in a patriarchal society like this, the family loses it. And so this bride price was compensation for the father's loss. The large portion of the mohar was also set aside for the bride herself, and it worked like a, a savings account or like a public insurance policy. Uh, the money would go to the bride if, in the event that the husband died or he divorced her. In biblical times, if a, woman, if a woman's husband died, she'd be left destitute, and hence the mohar was very important. In addition to this, the groom himself would give another sum of money called the matan. And, and this too was, was, was the bride's if he died or divorced her, and it was similar to a wedding ring. Uh, and if you, you go by what jewelers say, uh, this was the equivalent of a couple months' salary. And if the husband leaves the ring remains with the bride in the same way that it's true with the matan. In addition to the mohar and the matan, the groom's family would also give very expensive gifts. It was all part of the engagement. Uh, and at this stage in the engagement process, both parties prepared like a legal document. And this was the formation of the modern day marriage license. But in the ancient world, only the groom uh, signed it. And it was a promise, a pledge to provide a house, a living for his love. And these two had to make it publicly before at least two witnesses. And this contract was and is still called the Ketubah. And the Ketubah actually is still very prevalent in Jewish culture. And if you go to any uh, married Jewish person's house, they would often have it uh, 
very well written and displayed and probably in a frame. The ketubah, the, the marriage covenant. It stipulated that if he divorced her or if he died, uh, the mohar, the matan, and all of the gifts would go to the bride. Um, if either of them slept with someone else during this period, they'd be considered adulterers. And that takes us to our scripture passage again. Verse 18 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Okay. The ketubah has not been signed yet. But before they came together, before the official ceremony, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph... Her husband was faithful to the law. He, because he was righteous, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Now, I've met a lot of people who struggle with the virgin birth. And it seems very difficult to believe. And when I talk to them about their struggle, I always say to them, well, you're not alone. Uh, see, Joseph was the first to doubt the, the virgin birth. He didn't believe her at all. And that was coming from Mary herself. And despite his natural doubts, he is still referred to as a righteous man. See, the law clearly states that if she commits adultery, the consequence is death. She is also to return the mohar and the matan and all the other gifts that she and her family received. But that's not what Joseph wanted. Instead, even though his heart is shattered, even though he's been betrayed, in his mind, he has been betrayed, he has been cheated on, his wife-to-be slept with someone else. Even though he's walking away from Mary, crying, sobbing, heart shattered in pieces, that's not what he wants. He chose to show compassion to Mary. He decided to divorce her quietly. Joseph knew that soon um, during this engagement process, she was going to be showing. It was going to be found out that she was pregnant. And they would naturally assume that Joseph was the father and that he had slept with her while they were in Ein Kerem and then broken off the engagement. And the shame would now be his, not Mary's. The divorce meant that he would say that he had changed his mind about the marriage. He, not Mary, would be the dishonorable party in this circumstance. He would accept the stigma and shame for himself rather than let Mary be forever dis disgraced. Mary and her family would keep the mohar and the matan as child support and alimony, and her dignity would remain tact, and nobody would have to die. Joseph was willing to do this because he was a righteous man. It was not his obedience to the law nor his commitment to the pursuit of justice that the Bible calls him righteous. He is righteous because he showed compassion to someone in need, someone who didn't deserve it. All of this is implied by that one little phrase in Matthew's gospel, because Joseph was a righteous man, he wanted to divorce her quietly. Righteousness is sacrificing for others. That's first point in your notes. Righteousness is sacrificing for others. Here, it's not about outward purity. It's not about church attendance. Righteousness here isn't about your prayer life. Here in the opening chapter of Matthew, righteousness is taking the high road. Righteousness is helping the vulnerable. Righteousness is sacrificing for someone else at the expense of self, blessing someone who doesn't deserve it. You want to be righteous? Take the high road in your argument with your spouse this week. That's practical. 
You want to be righteous? Help someone who is maybe weak and vulnerable in our world. You want to be righteous? Sacrifice at the expense of self for the benefit of someone who doesn't deserve it. That's what we find in Joseph. And let's get real practical. Maybe buy a Christmas gift for some kids in need in our community. If you're a parent, here's a great way to show what real righteousness looks like. You and your kid pick out the name and the gender of the child that you want to provide a gift for, and you guys go to Target or you go to Walmart or you go to the store and let your kid pick out a gift for someone less fortunate. What a great way to show what true righteousness is. Joseph was righteous because he showed compassion and mercy on someone who didn't deserve it. And seeing this kind of compassion as Jesus was growing up, had to have played a role. Is it any surprise that Jesus grew up to be a man who said, forgive our enemies? Who on the cross says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? Have you ever thought of the impact that Joseph had on the life and the teachings of Jesus? Jesus saw it firsthand in his relationship between Mary and Joseph. Let's continue the story. Verse 20 says this, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. When when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. I find it interesting that after calling Joseph's name in this dream, the angel says, don't be afraid. I think think of the only times, the times in my life when I start a conversation with Sarah and I say, "Um, don't be mad. (laughs) That's cue for whatever I'm going to say next is going to make my wife upset. So the angel says, don't be mad or don't, don't be afraid, Joseph. And what, what does this angel mean by that? Don't be afraid of me. No, I think he's saying, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid to raise this child as your own. The challenge of doing so must have made this humble tecton fearful and anxious. He was being given a mission to wed Mary and to trust that 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 child was God's and not another man's. Don't be afraid, Joseph. God's plans for the world are being trusted to your care. Listen carefully. God's plan for the redemption of the world depended on one man's willingness to raise a child that wasn't his own. God's plan for the redemption of all things depended on one man's willingness to raise a child who is not his own. Number two, To respond to God is to do so immediately. Look at what Joseph does when he hears from the Lord in the dream. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Do you see the implications of this? The immediacy of the response is of utmost importance because this is what happens, right? We're in church uh, and we hear something. We go, yeah, I need to do something about that. Uh, Um, or we're reading the scriptures and we're like, man, I can't get this thing out of my mind. And so we assuage our conscience by saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And that actually relieves the tension and the desire inside of us at that moment. And we really mean it. We're sincere. I'm going to do it. But then we go home 
and life happens and we don't do it. We get busy. No, 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 no. As Joseph, as soon as he woke up, he did what the Lord commanded. He didn't wait. The immediacy of the response is utmost importance. So when we see on Instagram, hashtag pray for Vegas, and we feel something tugging our heart, mm, yeah, I should do something about that. I will, I will, in a little bit. And we never do anything about it. Hashtag pray for Texas. Hashtag pray for Puerto Rico. Something stirs in our hearts. I should, I should do something. And then we assuage our conscience by saying, okay, I will when I get home. I will when I get to my computer. It's too hard to input numbers and stuff from my phone. Tithing is a good example of this. Next month, I'm going to start giving regularly. Yeah, we, sh we should. We should start giving regularly. But it's hard, and we don't. What is God asking you to do right now? That still small voice, the Holy Spirit, who right now might be speaking to you, I've gotten that feeling that God wants me to do this one particular thing. Don't just settle your conscience by saying, I will. Pull out your phone. You got permission right now. Make a calendar reminder. Email that person. Do whatever you've got to do to make sure that we actually do what God's stirring in our hearts. What is God asking you to do? Joseph said yes, and this wasn't easy. You think Joseph and Mary sought to explain this to their family and friends about the angels and this miraculous conception? We know that we, he talk, they talked to Elizabeth and Zechariah. They believed her. Joseph only believed her after an angel appeared to him in a dream. But I suspect that neither Mary or Joseph really tried to explain this to every person they met when they, Mary was pregnant. Everyone just assumed Joseph was the father. Joseph simply accepted the snickers and the whispers behind his back. His family and friends assumed that likely he had taken advantage of Mary before they signed the ketubah, before they had their marriage ceremony. They had a shotgun wedding. <laughs> this is how God becomes a man. Not in a palace built for kings, but from this supposed scandal of Joseph having to marry his fiance early because he couldn't wait. This is how God becomes a man. Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Uh, last point, you know, it's this. In order to protect others, you have to be with others. See, in, in the ancient Roman world, they would have a census and it was basically to, to determine how much they should tax each village. And it was a big deal. If you were uh, wealthy in the ancient world, uh, they would take your possessions. If you failed to appear at the census, it was a massive deal. Senators who violated this uh, requirement were removed from the Senate. Men of the equestrian class had their horses removed. But if you were poor, if you were an ordinary citizen in the Roman um, world, the penalty was much more severe. Imprisonment, confiscation of property, scourging, or slavery. This is a big deal. This is why while Mary's nine months pregnant, they make the hundred mile journey 
from Nazareth to Bethlehem. He had no choice but to go back to Bethlehem and com comply. And during the times of the census, they were, there was often violent outbreaks. People in the villages would get upset. People in the cities would get upset. And, and so there was an outbreak of violence always during these times. Why did he take Mary? Mary was nine months pregnant. She, they had family up there in Nazareth. Why did he take her? I think to protect her. During the times of the census, he needed to be next to his wife and boy he was going to raise. Roman law didn't require Mary to go to Bethlehem, just Joseph. He wanted to protect her, so he remained next to her. You want to protect and bless your home? Be home. Be next to the people you love and care about. I know that during the holidays, work can get crazy and busy. I know that. But there is no amount of money that makes up for you not being home. You not going outside with your kids. And contrary to popular belief, love is not spelled L-O-V-E. It's spelled T-I-M-E. And your kids know the difference. Be outside with your kids. Eat meals with your family. How, how difficult it must have been for Mary to make the long journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem while being extremely pregnant. Nine-day journey. Joseph likely procured a donkey for Mary, but that doesn't make much, things much better, okay? When my wife was nine months pregnant, she would waddle to the car with her hand on her sciatic nerve, okay, on her back. Uh, she didn't want to go to the store. She didn't want to go downstairs. And I, I, I can't even fathom a nine-month pregnant woman getting on top of a donkey riding 100 miles over mountains. But because he wanted to protect his wife, he took her with him. And so fulfilled the prophecy regarding the birthplace of the promised Messiah. It's interesting to see how God works in our lives. This little nudge, this little uh, census that a pagan Roman governor issued led to the fulfillment of ancient prophecies that the Savior was to be born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary were undoubtedly upset about this, right? Nine months pregnant, and now we got to go 100 miles in this violent ancient world to Bethlehem? But God took the emperor's decree for a census, nudged Joseph to take Mary with him to Bethlehem, and caused Jesus' humble birth to take place in the very place that the Magi would find him. If we only pay attention, look back in our own lives, we can see God move in large and small ways. Yesterday, uh, I went to Macy's and spent a lot of time in the fragrance department, obviously. Um, three years ago, <clears throat> Michael Ramirez gave me, uh, gave my son a little Hot Wheels car. Mike Ramirez goes to our church. Mike is a schizophrenic, and everybody loves Mike, and Mike loves everybody. Mike comes almost every week to Prodigal Church. And almost every week, he brings my son a little car. Uh, and three years ago, he, bought him, he brought him this big red, like this little red car. It was like a 1958 Chevy. And it, it didn't cost a lot. This one was actually used already. And I remember three years ago getting in my car and giving it to Dex. And he was two at the time, and he was like in a mood. 
And so he's like, no. And I go, son, Mike got you this card. Do you want it? And he says, no. And I was like, that's rude, son. So I put it in the little compartment on the side of my car and inside the door and just let it, left it there. And I thought I'll, in a few weeks, I'll, I'll try and give it to him again and, and he'll like it. Okay, three years goes by. It's still there. Okay, there's numerous times I've looked at it and I thought that's ah, a reminder and I, I pray for certain people and stuff. Um, but this 1958 Chevy sitting right on that, that right when, every time I get out of the car, I look down and I see it buried under cologne. And <laughs> yesterday I get, I get to Macy's, I'm in the parking lot and I'm opening the car door and I see it and I go, you know what? Today's the day. I'm just getting rid of it. It's been there for three years. I'm never going to give it to Dex. So um, I figure I'm just going to throw it away. So I, as I'm walking up to Macy's, I see a trash can right there. I'm getting ready to throw it in there. And I go, you know what? Just maybe, maybe a kid would see this and it could bring joy or a smile or something. And so right before I entered Macy's, I pulled it back and just, and it starts going a little bit. And I just walk inside. I don't even see where it landed. Three hours later, I'm talking to uh, a friend of mine, uh, Emily, in Macy's. And there, a woman there by the name of, I probably won't share, uh, lost her husband a year ago. Lost her husband a year ago. And I'm talking with Emily. Three hours later, and she was going through a tough time. She walked out crying. She walked out of the store crying. She walks back in 20 minutes later, and she's holding this red car. And so she walks up to Emily and I, and she goes, um, uh, I go, you got, a, you got a car there? And she goes, yeah. She's holding back tears. She says, this was my husband's first car he ever had. 1958 Chevy. And I walk outside crying, and there it was, right on the sidewalk. And I go, that's crazy. She goes, God just gives me enough. He just gives me a little bit to keep going. Who would have thought that when a schizophrenic buys this car for 99 cents, and brings it to my son three years ago, and it gets buried in my car for three years, that God was going to use it to comfort a widow and to keep her going the next step, the next day when she's down. We never know the little things that God does. We can look back often and think, man, I believe it. I see it. I can see his hand moving. But it's often in hindsight and sometimes this side of the grave, we may never know. Some of you are really struggling with some stuff, some things that have gone down in your life. And, and you just, you hope there's some good that can come out of it, but you don't see it and you don't see that there's any way possible anything good can come out of it. Right here in the midst of, of Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph is at his darkest time, when Joseph is betrayed by the one he loves, when Joseph's heart is ripped out, shattered, stomped on, and he's crying, even in that moment, God is at work in the womb of Mary doing the most beautiful thing that has ever happened on this planet. Orchestrating the birth of our Savior in Jesus. In Joseph's darkest moment, God was at work in the womb of his fiance to bring about the new creation that Jesus wants to bring through us. Let's pray. God, we are so blown away by how you bring about good amidst all kinds of things that are not good.
We're blown away to how you bring about resurrection in the midst of death. You, we're blown away by the ways you, in which you use us to bring hope in the midst of despair. We're blown away by your definition of righteousness. We think it's obeying the letter of the law. Well, the law says stone Mary. Righteousness says show compassion. God, even when our hearts say, I'll wait to make a decision, I'll wait to follow Jesus, I'll do it when I graduate, I'll do it when I have kids, I'll do it when I get married, then I'll get things right. No, the word says today is the day for salvation. And so God, I pray that we would respond to what you're stirring in our hearts immediately. God, help us to look back and see how you haven't failed us, and how you brought about life in the midst of things that were gone. Hope in the midst of troubles and trials. Mold us, shape us, God. Let us be sensitive to your spirit's leading. Help us to see and experience resurrection that wasn't just a one-time event 2,000 years ago. It's something that you're doing now. You're in the resurrecting business, God. You're in the re you are in the business of bringing life to things that are dead. And so God, do that in us. Do that in our church. Do that in our families. Do that in our communities, God. We, God, we pray great blessings upon this area. And we pray great blessings upon the children in our community. You have a heart for children. Resurrect in us, God. Resurrect me. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and close with this last song, I will encourage you to whatever the Spirit might be stirring in your heart, that you wouldn't put it off, that you would make that decision, that you would make that commitment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship God together. The Savior now to wash our feet. Now at his feet we Your name, your name.